0: On today's show, How to Adult, a guide to not being a trash human, a playful and genuinely useful guide. Author Anna Blackie wrote the book for anyone who struggles with the things we're supposed to know how to do, but don't, and to make you smile or laugh out loud along the way. Anna Blackie joins me later in the hour. But soon, Welcome to the Bunker Baby is a song that seems pitch perfect for where we all find ourselves right now. But singer-songwriter Nicola Watson wrote the song three years ago in response to climate fears. It's the title track for an album of stories that respond to fears and anxieties, and a portion of the track will be featuring each week as an introduction to my weekly segment's Comfort Reads and Meet Me for Launch. Comfort Reads is a chance for listeners to write in and tell me about the books that are keeping them company right now. And on Meet Me for Launch, authors can promote their latest books. If you want to join me on either segment, email me at backstoryrrr at gmail.com. That's backstoryrrr at gmail.com.
1: Triple R on FM Digital Online via the app.
0: Nicola Watson, welcome to Backstory. Thank you. Now, uh, your album, Welcome to the Bunker, Baby, uh, was sent to me uh, by a friend who thought that I would enjoy especially the eponymous track, uh, which I very much did to to the extent that I would uh, love to be using this uh, every week uh, to introduce some of the new segments that have arisen Uh, since we've all found ourselves in isolation. But this is quite a prescient uh, track because you actually created it two years
2: ago. Tell me about Welcome to the Bunker Baby. Um, Well, actually, I think I wrote that song maybe three years ago and I I know that because I was looking on my phone um, at the voice memos just earlier to try and work out um, what had triggered me to write it because there's a really interesting podcast um conversations with richard um Fiedler. there was a, in 2018 but yeah i was trying to remember if that had prompted me to write the song or not but turns out i wrote it before i heard that podcast um it's really it, it for me it was really about climate change anxiety the whole album is pretty much springs from that um feeling of looming kind of dread and doom that the climate crisis has given me, which has strangely been eclipsed now by coronavirus, which is a very odd thing to have a new existential dread. But um, I guess I found myself writing less and less about romance and um, kind of, you know, forlorn love song stuff that invariably you write, particularly in your 20s, I think, as a songwriter, and became – my songs became a bit more abstract, but then I realised I was writing things about um, about fear and just a sense of powerlessness, I think, and, yeah, I myself for quite a while um, as well as my friends, a, a few of my friends have talked about the climate crisis and, um, you know, we've looked online at properties in Tasmania and talked about, like, what should we do and never really prepped but discussed the the potential need for preparing for like a changing world um and rather than actually do anything I think I just started writing songs about it <laughs>
0: It's a typical artist's response and, uh, and very much you can hear it in that track. You have a gorgeous voice, uh, there's no doubt about it, uh, but as someone who's obviously slightly obsessed with stories and storytellers, um, I could definitely recognise a writer uh, in, in this track and in the album as well. I want to talk to you a bit about uh, writing songs. Uh, There is another track that particularly resonated as well called The Hospital. Uh, It's a track that seems to be about uh, a loved one uh, having to stay in the hospital overnight uh, because something's wrong with them and it's something that I've certainly experienced. I'm sure everyone has experienced something like this. Uh, Talk to me about writing songs and particularly uh, The Hospital
2: Okay, um, well firstly, I feel in terms of writing songs, I should confess that in my misspent youth, I was a musical theater kid, which I'm not anymore. I'm not a musical theater adult, but I was really um, like my family used to sing lame songs in the car on the way, you, know, camping or whatever. Um, and so I really do feel that, that that sort of like infected my brain with this sense of um, melody and narrative, kind of driving a song and um, so I I kind of see myself as much a lyricist as I am a singer and I have struggled often with music that doesn't speak to me lyrically like I I think that um, the words the words kind of connect with me more than the sound um, a lot of the time which has been like and it's also been a strength and a weakness for me as a music maker Um, but the song The Hospital was actually prompted by an email from my friend in America. He had just had a baby with his partner and I had written to say, congratulations, you know, wonderful, it must be amazing, blah, blah, blah. I had no idea what having babies was really like. And um, he wrote back to say that it was a nightmare and that they'd been unable to take their baby home with them because, um, yeah, because the baby, the sugar's in their blood with the wrong amount or it was just such a shocking thing to just a reality check I suppose I had been I hadn't really deeply considered what they might be experiencing at that time and so that's the that's the kind of the opening um verse in the hospital is taken directly from that email and I started writing that maybe like I think it was eight years ago like ages ago but I've since had two children of Mm. my own and um I guess I am better acquainted with the enormous love and enormous grief that comes with having a child. I think you open yourself up to, you know, unspeakable, yeah, unspeakable pain when you have a child because you suddenly you're more vulnerable than you have ever been before. Um, and I guess that the song is basically an exploration of that.
0: Can you talk a little bit about how you put a song
2: together lyrically? What's your process? Um, well, I don't think I'm a very good person to talk about process because I actually just blurt things out in a moment. I, I literally pretty much sit down and um, it just spews out and it often comes out fully formed like a verse and chorus really quickly. Like I, I write really quickly um, and it's it's not something that I often I don't draft or redraft either. Like usually, yeah, they, they sort of just live as they're born and. I just write them quite quickly, so I don't have a very um, refined or kind of involved process at all, which makes me think that a lot of my writings, it's just my subconscious trying to process something, and often I don't really know what it's about until afterwards I'll sit down and kind of realise, oh, I must be worried about that.
0: If you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. am Mel Cranenberg and I'm talking to singer-songwriter Nicola Watson. Uh, She has uh, a couple of years ago released an album called Welcome to the Bunker Baby and I was lucky enough uh, to have a friend send it to me. Uh, It's a really lovely, uh, quite wistful album in many ways uh, with a lot of uh, beautiful sort of quite personal songs on it and uh, I'm really interested in in you introducing some of the other songs on the album are Ode to Philip K. Can you tell me what that's about?
2: Um, oh it's just about Philip K. Dick <laughs> because um, I guess it's about not trusting <laughs> and not trusting that um, that things are going to you know that we're going to have what we were expecting and I suppose that I, I, for someone who's written a song about Philip K Dick, I'm probably not the hugest of fans, so it feels a little bit misleading to be talking about him in, in an intimate way. But I just, I read, um, I can't remember which one it was about, The Policeman, but I can't remember the title now, when I was on holiday before writing the song. And then just sort of wikipedia Philip K Dick to find out more about him. And his story was really interesting. Um, and then I... Yeah, I just sort of, I just combined his perception of like the future with how it feels like it is unfolding, you know, from a climate change perspective as well and reprimanded him a little bit but celebrated him in the same song I don't know it's a funny little song um but it was yeah it's a
0: it's a great story it's a great storytelling tradition to sort of have a uh have a conversation with a writer who's either inspired you or who you you've got a bone to pick with so I particularly liked that then I think songwriters quite often do seem to be uh sing, people who are very much, lyricists uh, seem to be highly influenced by books. Is that something that you've you've felt uh, yourself?
2: Well, I think that books are transportive. So, definitely, as I said before, like I don't I don't really intend to write songs. They just kind of come out in a little moment of solitude. And but I feel like if I've been reading something really immersive, then um, definitely it bleeds into the songwriting for sure. Um although i I must confess as well, since I've got a four year old and since my daughter was born, I really couldn't list how many books I've read on one hand I think it's I've become someone who is constantly reading things from their phone um and unfortunately of late it's been all just news, terrible news but um yeah, I feel like i I miss the the world of the book and yeah it's it's probably not something I've consciously um Use for inspiration but yeah definitely Philip K got in there somewhere.
0: I'm particularly interested to know how you're reacting in a songwriting way to what's going on now. You obviously have uh, small children uh, so I imagine a lot of your time is taken up uh, with caring for them as well as you know your other daily life but do you find a time to to kind of craft a response to what's going on, are you sometimes just absorbing things that may later come out in in a lyric or in a song?
2: To be honest, I haven't written a song or even really sat down to play a song since I launched the album two years ago. I kind of abandoned it for a while. Um, plus my I have a nine-month-old baby as well, so I've been, I was pregnant and then raising, you know, looking after a little one which is pretty absorbing. But um I've been doing something else. I've kind of I've kind of ditched some writing for now and I've been writing a screenplay, which is also <laughs> cool. <laughs> it's just really to keep my brain occupied. And also for catharsis, I think just to try and um try and sort of process, yeah, all these things that are going on. Um but yeah I've been writing a black comedy for, for television. Um, called Welcome to the Bunker Baby, and it's sort of an offshoot that I see the album as being kind of the um, the origin, but this is like another another beast. So yeah, it's been a bit strange with the screenplay though because I basically wrote um, I wrote a the, the premise of this screenplay was a mother who has eco anxiety that gets misdiagnosed as postnatal depression. And instead of um, taking her antidepressants that she's prescribed, she starts stockpiling them and other medications. Um, but this was before the coronavirus kind of panic buying and stockpiling that everybody's been doing. So, the um, yeah, the story that I had, the screenplay that I had written, is now quite um, quite remarkably unfunny as as history has kind of just stolen my idea. <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, this is one of the things, isn't it, of being an artist, uh, and you're obviously uh, crossing many different writerly media as well, is that artists are people who imagine and who model. And so quite often there's an eerie prescience to the work that they do because you're really thinking about what could happen and what might happen. So it's not surprising to me that that is something that's emerged.
2: Yeah, it, it's been funny though. Like I was complaining because my initial reaction when um, I went to Rhyme Time, I went to Baby Rhyme Time with my son, and I had made a friend there called Judah, and Judah approached me and said, "Oh, have you started stockpiling Panadol yet?" And I had just been writing about this. This is early into the coronavirus um crisis and I had just been writing you know working on my script that morning and I was just flabbergasted that she would talk about stockpiling medication because that's what my script was about and my first reaction to the coronavirus was like oh no my script my script it's not going to be good anymore just so stupid just like such a unimportant um concern in the scheme of this global catastrophe but it actually took me quite a while to let it go and my husband was. I'm very keen to him. he was like you know it's not your idea it's in the zeitgeist man like you just got to, you know you didn't come up with stockpiling things <laughs> so luckily I've had him to remind me that um yeah there's there's bigger things at play.
0: When you're ready for the big things it's the small things that really get beneath that that kind of bar you've set isn't it? Yeah
2: I guess um I guess it's the it's anything that impacts your immediate world as well, those first little things. I guess that's how we sort of start to realise the, you know, the enormity or the almost incomprehensible nature of um, what's been happening. It just took a while. There were steps leading to me understanding the scale of it, I guess. But the first one was like my idea. Oh, no. But never mind.
0: (laughs) Nicola Watson, thank you so much for joining me today on Backstory uh, and for your album, Welcome to the Bunker Baby. It's I really enjoyed listening to it. There's something very soothing about your voice and about someone speaking to me about the anxieties that I've felt and am feeling. So uh, I really appreciate your work and your words uh, and your your beautiful voice uh, on this album. Um, where can people find it as well?
2: Um, oh, thank you so much for listening to it, Melissa. I'm really, um, really thrilled that you've taken the time to listen to it. It's um, it's on Bandcamp, um, is a is a website you can find um, independent artists' music on. Otherwise, um, it's on Spotify as well if you just want to stream it. Um, yeah, I, it's just Welcome to the Bunker Baby. If you Google it, it should come up.
0: Thank you so much, Nicola Watson, for joining me today on Backstory. Thank you so much for having me. That was Nicola Watson, whose album Welcome to the Bunker is available now on Bandcamp. Next, author Anna Blackie discusses her playful manual on life How to Adult, a guide to not being a trash human. That's all coming up on Triple R. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. You're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg. It's a widely accepted fact that fitness and strength make us live longer and better. Unfortunately, they also make us want to die. When it comes down to it, there's a metric shit-ton of information floating around about exercise, dieting, supplements, and everything else you never really wanted to know about your body and how to make it look like a flesh-coloured beanbag. Frankly, it's overwhelming. I know because I did all the sad and depressing research to save you from being crushed under a pile of information. You're bloody welcome. Feast on the fruits of my sweaty labours while I go and eat a donut. That's an excerpt from Anna Blackie's How to Adult, a guide to not being a trash human and other life lessons. A light-hearted book of advice on things we adults should know but sometimes don't, covering everything from taxes and budgeting to basic first aid. The kind of playful advice that reminds us of a time when the smaller things seemed terrifying. I talked to Anna about the book, the lessons she shares, and the art of writing self-help manuals. Anna Blackie, welcome to Backstory. Thanks, Mel. Now, I've very much enjoyed reading your book, How to Adult, while in isolation, a guide not to not being a trash human and other life lessons. And it's a weirdly uh, appropriate book for the time that we find ourselves in. I've certainly found myself flicking through particularly the medical section to try and uh, (laughs) see if I can work out whether or not I should be alarmed about things. And I'm finding it very calming. Can (laughs) you talk about why... Can you talk about why you decided to write a self-help book of this nature?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think once I finished school and moved out of my parents' house, my friends and I kept on running into these questions of why don't I know how to do these really basic life things? And it just kind of became a really consistent problem that we were all having. Um, I was living in a share house with three other friends and we just kind of... Couldn't figure out why half of us didn't know how to iron anything or how come we only knew how to make gravy out of like a Gravox can and this list of things that we didn't know just kept on getting larger and larger and I just kind of realised that it shouldn't be that way and that adults should know how to do things and, I yeah, kind of came up with the idea from there.
0: You've got a very tongue-in-cheek kind of no bullshit. Turn of phrase in in this book, Uh, it is kind of meant to be like a friend talking to you in in quite a sort of sassy way. Uh, I talk to me about how you kind of approach writing this because I can I can see there's a lot of research that obviously went into it, and then you've you've tried to sort of make it seem off the cuff.
1: (laughs) Um, Well, I think I kind of wrote it with that approach of my friends and I not knowing how to do things, and so it kind of was like writing to my friends and writing all the things that I needed to know in a way that I felt I would be able to digest. So it's selfishly kind of aimed at my own lack of knowledge, I guess. Um, and I conducted a lot of interviews to put the book together. Um, and some of those were with people who knew a lot more than me about everything. And so having those conversations and having them kind of teach me really helped to inform, yeah, how everything came together.
0: Now, the the book cover and uh, the book um, illustration on the front is very appropriate. Do you want to talk (laughs) to millennials and some of the discourse that's gone on about them? Uh, So would you like to talk about the cover and the decision for the illustration on it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and the cover actually took us a really long time to come around to. And obviously we have those really excellent internal illustrations from Alex Nickel and it kind of seemed right to use one of his great designs on the front as well. Um, but we just couldn't figure out what the best millennial icon would be. And we spent ages sitting around kind of like bouncing ideas off and then all of a sudden, we just realised the avocado was so perfect, and we're kind of shocked that we hadn't thought of it earlier. Um, yeah, so it just kind of came really naturally once we started putting all those ideas together.
0: Uh, to, to carry that theme through, you do have a whole section on how to prepare a various various avocado based <laughs> recipes. I thought it was fantastic.
1: Um, yeah, it's definitely a very important kitchen staple for all millennials, so <laughs> it seems like it wouldn't be right to not give it the credit it deserves.
0: Yeah. Boiling an egg makes it in there, which I, I actually think is it's actually it's quite a tricky one to do well.
1: It is. The timings are really hard to get your head around and I still like often open up the book just to figure out how long I need to keep my egg in the water. So <laughs>
0: Uh, I have a, a friend who bought me a, a kind of special egg timer that looks like a, a black egg and you put it in with the eggs and it plays smoke on the water, I think, when <laughs> it reaches the ultimate stage of cooked and has various <laughs> different tracks for for different levels of, you know, soft, medium and hard. That's amazing. Everyone should have one of those in their house. <laughs> Absolutely. Can you talk about some of the the sections in, in this book? I thought the finance one was quite reassuring because a lot of people, including uh, you know, just about every writer I have ever met, really struggle with things like finances and taxes. And I found your uh, your sort of section around this quite reassuring.
1: Yeah, I think that taxes section was actually kind of where the idea from for the book came from to begin with. Um, Because when I first started doing my own taxes, when I had an adult job, I just was kind of baffled that I hadn't learned how to do it in school. And I mean, now it's all online, so it's a little bit easier, but just not knowing what to do with my taxes at all or how to like make claims or what I could be getting deductions for was just ridiculous. Um, and so I think that was really for my own peace of mind. When I started pulling everything together, I realized all of the stuff that I didn't know about taxes and spoke to a whole lot of people and realized that they didn't know anything about taxes as well. Um, yeah. And so that really, that section is really meant to just reassure you that taxes are not as scary as
0: they seem. It is very reassuring. And you also talk about how long you should be keeping your receipts for, whether it's uh, appropriate to keep them or whether you're being a hoarder. And I don't think I realised that you were supposed to keep your tax returns forever or that you're supposed to keep, uh, you know, receipts for a certain number of months and years. So that kind of information isn't really that simply or widely available.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think For ages, I just had like this shoebox filled with random receipts that had no dates on them, and I had no idea what they were for. And I was like, I know I meant to keep these, but I don't know why or for how long. And I think kind of putting that information together really helped me kind of prioritize the things that you need to know for your taxes and figure out that actually not every receipt is important, but there are a lot that are important, and kind of knowing which ones have like, yeah, which ones are the most important and which ones you should be keeping for the longest is a really good thing to know, I think.
0: Uh, one section I think people now in isolation will particularly find useful is the exercise section. It's uh, it's it's uh, very uh, it's both reassuring, hilarious, and and also incredibly useful. Uh, particularly the the bit about running because I know a lot of people for their I guess short outside adventure now uh, are really just only able to do either a walk or a run. Uh, And, you know, many people have never even tried running. So this is, this was a great section.
1: Thank you. I have to admit, I hate running, as you can probably tell from the book. And since I've been working from home, I've started to pick it up and I've been trying to do the run, walk, run method. And I'm like, I I just, it's horrible. It's so hard. Running is still the devil. And even though I wrote about it, I'm still really struggling. (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's great. Uh, If you've just joined us, I'm talking to Anna Blackie, who's written a self-help book called How to Adult, A Guide to Not Being a Trash Human and Other Life Lessons. And I want to talk about the art of writing self-help because it is very particular. Uh, And one thing I did notice in a lot of the sections is the art of a good disclaimer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, a disclaimer is definitely very important. (laughs)
0: How did you uh, kind of balance giving advice with not uh, killing people? I guess is a good way of putting it.
1: Um, I definitely think for a book like this, talking to people who know a lot more than I do was really important. Um, Because, yeah, like I said, the reason that I wrote the book was because I knew very little about adulting. And especially for things like the medical section and the legal section, it was really important to get that advice from people who actually know what they're talking about. And even then, it is a self-help book, but it's not looking at any one specific circumstance. So for things like the medical section, there's only so much I can help you with in the pages of a book, but having that general knowledge is really helpful. But that's, yeah, kind of where the importance of disclaimers come in, I guess. Like it's not a diagnostic tool, it's just a good guide for knowing when you should maybe go to the hospital or what to do if you burn yourself or something. So
0: so it's a it's a really good uh, sort of topic to talk about because self-help is such a huge genre in the book market and a lot of people do turn to self-help for reassurance or for a sort of guide to life, I guess. You know, what? how would you
1: sort of typify
0: a self-help book?
1: I think for me, I prefer kind of general guidance in self-help. Like I want someone that I know has been on a similar path to me and can kind of give me a little bit of advice but not tell me exactly what it is I'm meant to be doing. I think that, again, was kind of the point of how to adult where I know that lots of people struggle with adulting because I've struggled with it too and we all have to figure out the things that we're the most terrible at. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I definitely think it's just like a subtle guide to figuring everything out.
0: So it's kind of like a reassuring friend, really, who isn't, you know, just spreading something that they found on the internet.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's like knowing that you're not alone and knowing that there are other people who can definitely help guide you through the murky waters of adultness.
0: Yeah, I- This is very much a show about craft and uh, in full disclosure you actually work uh, at Pantera Press uh, which uh, your your book's been published on an imprint of that press. Uh, So I'm really keen to sort of discuss what it's like to actually write a book while also working at a publishing company.
1: Yeah it was definitely a really unique experience and something that was really fun to kind of be part of both levels of the production and I think Um, I got to work really closely with my editor, um, and just being able to, because I work in an editorial department as well. So getting to see how she was working on my book and looking at the story from a writing perspective and then from an editorial perspective was just such an interesting way to kind of, yeah, to build the product, a project. And I really got to learn so much about publishing from that experience, which was really cool. Um,
0: Particularly yeah, with a book it, like this, I imagine a lot of the uh, a lot of the kind of content evolves in in how you sort of edit it all together, working out what sections you need, working out how to respond to sort of illustrations and and other sort of uh, little devices that you use to convey information.
1: Yeah, I think um, again, my editor was so fantastic in helping me kind of put together the structure of this book um, because I think I mean the way that I wrote it was kind of like mini essays, I guess, and picking the topic and then just like deconstructing each of the sections within that. And the structure in the beginning was a complete mess and having my author give me guidance on kind of, sorry, my editor give me guidance on where to kind of position everything. So it all flowed a little bit more organically was so helpful. And it really, yeah, it was great to see it come together with that editorial help.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of writers out there when they first start don't realise the the really quite intimate relationship that editors and writers have when they're working on a book. Yeah. Is that something that you, before you started working at a publishing house, were really aware
1: of? No, I definitely didn't realise how much of an important relationship that editorial and author relationship is. And I think it's something that's really Interesting to watch from behind the scenes as well, and now getting to work with authors myself, it's really, really cool to see how a book sh- takes shape from an editorial perspective, and kind of getting to be part of that behind the scenes is really exciting and.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I am kind of uh, really keen to talk about uh, the illustrations in the book. You mentioned uh, the illustrator. Can you can you discuss how they evolved? Did you work together? Did you commission uh, illustrations once, once the book had been written? How did that all come together?
1: Um, so Alex Nicolau, illustrator, is actually a friend of mine and I've seen him doing illustrations over the years and when I first kind of came up with the idea for the book, Um, And we were talking about whether or not it should be illustrated. He kind of sprung to mind instantly because he's got just those amazing kind of like psychedelic illustrations that really are so cool and quirky and they just fit with the book really well. Um, and basically I kind of wrote the sections and then from there we'd read through and kind of pick the scenes that we thought would be best illustrated, um, and gave him like small briefs based on some of the text. And that's kind of where the bigger hero illustrations came from. Um, and then, From there we kind of realised that we'd like some smaller little illustrations as well and so kind of like the avocados that go through all the cooking section and we've got some peaches in the exercise section so we kind of picked out little things that we thought would be, yeah, nice to see repeated through the book and gave in that brief as well.
0: There's also a lot of infographics uh, all the way through. There's a really great one uh, which is, you know, the sort of uh, should you go to hospital or not kind (laughs) of infographic which I think is it's pretty adorable. How hard is it to put those kinds of things together in a, in a book of this nature?
1: I think, um, the, should I go to hospital infographic was kind of based off a friend of mine that is constantly asking medical questions that I just don't have the answer to. Um, and so some of the instances in that infographic are just based off real life experiences. And so I had written down some of the questions that she'd asked me in the past and then spoken to a nurse and been like, which one of these are actually serious medical problems. Um, and so that one was actually quite an easy anecdotal infographic to put together. Um, But there are some kind of drawings, like step-by-step tutorials on how to wrap a present and how to tie a tie. And I know that they were (laughs) not the easiest things to illustrate. So definitely I'm not jealous of Alex for having to do that job.
0: Now, I, I teach writing, actually, uh, and one of the things that I I've, I really recognise is how difficult it is to write a really good how-to or instructional article, and you've done a really great job of it. Uh, there's a lot of things you have to think about, like what steps do you need to include, uh, as well as kind of the sort of reassuring, wisecracking that you're keeping uh, all throughout. did you? How did you go about writing your sort of little instructional pieces? Did you test them out on people? Did you have to go over them to see if you'd missed a step? Uh, what goes into writing that sort of material?
1: Um, definitely the step-by-steps were the hardest part of the book, um, especially for the ones that I didn't already know how to do. I think um, tying a tie is one that my editor and I had to redo several times because just the direction of where to put your hands and how to make it all happen is so confusing. And it's really more of a visual thing than a written thing. So it's, yeah, definitely was a much longer process than I anticipated. And we sat in our office for probably three days tying a tie and trying to figure it, like talk it through as we were doing it. Um, And then for things like wrapping a present, I just kind of like sat down and wrapped one over and over again until I had the steps right in my mind um, and realised that you can really only wrap square things, so I'm never buying anything for anyone that isn't a square. (laughs)
0: Yeah, or, you know, could it be a sort of book shape maybe?
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, books are the perfect gift obviously.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Anna, this is really a wonderful gift I think to to get some. For someone uh, who's in isolation right now and i really enjoyed actually reading it for in preparation for this interview it um it was kind of delightful thank you so much for joining me today on backstory to talk about your lovely book how to adult thank you for having me that was anna blackie author of how to adult a guide to not being a trash human out now through lost the plot
2: Welcome to the Bunker, baby, no need to worry,
1: just don't look outside, just don't look outside.
0: Yes, it's time for our two new segments, Comfort Reads, where you, dear listeners, share the books that are keeping you company right now and meet us for launch, news about local books that have just launched and are waiting for you to order them home. Today's Comfort Read comes from Donna Ward, author of She I Dare Not Name, which featured on the show recently. Donna writes, Many of the books that saved my life, and got me through my dark night of the soul, are ancient myths and fairy tales. Jesus in quarantine in the desert, Jesus at Gethsemane begging for his cup to pass, Hansel and Gretel in the forest, Inanna, Queen of Heaven, going into the underworld to visit her sister, the Queen of Hell, the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and other stories of what we think of as the Night Sea Journey of the Soul, Dante's Inferno is one. This is a time when we can reflect on these old stories filled with wisdom and ideas of how to approach this enforced solitude. I lived through one version of it. Many are living through it right now, and everyone is doing it differently. Right now, though, I'm reading Italo Calvino's Invisible Cities and Borges' The Book of Imaginary Beings. You can see how I roll with solitude, escape into fantasy. Thank you, Donna Ward. And Donna's own book, She, I Dare Not Name, is a real meditation on solitude. Very much a book for our times and one many of us will find comfort in. And this week on Meet Me for Launch is Laura G. Mackay's The Animals in That Country hard-drinking, foul-mouthed, and allergic to bullshit. Jean is not your usual grandma. She's never been good at getting on with other humans, apart from her beloved granddaughter, Kimberly. Instead, she surrounds herself with animals, working as a guide in an outback wildlife park. And although Jean talks to all her charges, she has a particular soft spot for a young dingo called Sue. As disturbing news arrives of a pandemic sweeping the country, Jean realises this is no ordinary flu. Its chief symptom is that its victims begin to understand the language of animals, first mammals, then birds and insects too. As the flu progresses, the unstoppable voices become overwhelming and many people begin to lose their minds, including Jean's infected son, Lee. When he takes off with Kimberly, heading south, Jean feels the pull to follow her kin. Setting off on their trail with Sue the Dingo riding shotgun, they find themselves in a stark, strange world in which the animal apocalypse has only further isolated people from other species. Bold, exhilarating and wholly original, the animals in that country asked what would happen, for better or worse, if we finally understood what animals were saying. Laura G. McKay's book, written long before this crisis, lands at a time when the premise it's based on feels all too real. The Animals in That Country is out now through Scribe. If you want to send me your comfort read or let me know about your book for Meet Me for Launch, email me on backstoryrrr at gmail.com. That's backstoryrrr at gmail.com. That's it for Backstory this week. I'd like to thank my guests, Anna Blackie, author of How to Adult, and singer-songwriter Nicola Watson, whose album Welcome to the Bunker Baby is out now on Bandcamp. Special mention also to Donna Ward for today's Comfort Read and Laura-Jean Mackay, who recently launched The Animals in That Country. Independently yours, Triple R.
1: 102.7.